Hi, everybody. It's Pete. What you're about to hear is not the ADHD podcast as you have come to expect it. No, it's actually episode one of the Placeholder podcast. This is our new show about tech, the tech we use while we're waiting for something better. What's different about this new show is that you won't be hearing new episodes here in the ADHD podcast home going forward, just this one. Going forward, this show is just for our patrons at patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast. And you can become a patron too. Just join at any level, deluxe or better, and get early access to the ADHD podcast with bonus chapters from the live streams. Get into our super secret member channels at the ADHD community on Discord. And naturally, get new episodes of Placeholder every two weeks, too. I hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. And see you online. Let me tell you, doing a podcast without a guaranteed co-host is hard. I've been podcasting since the early aughts, and I have never, ever just turned on the microphone with the intention of casting a pod by myself in all that time. Why? That's a good question. Well, that when we talked about it on the show just this last week, imposter syndrome, oh, and anxiety, and ADHD, and probably a dose of OCD, and FOBO, and clearly I need to think about my life choices. But somewhere along the way, someone thought I might have a few things to share about tech, tools, and systems, and so here I am. And here you are, and here we are together. I'm Pete Wright. Welcome to Placeholder. This is a show about the tech we use while we're waiting for something better. We're going to talk about tools and systems and apps and communication and all of the things we can accomplish when we let ourselves fall in love with them. Most important, though, this is a show that is dedicated to and exclusively for members of the Taking Control ADHD podcast community on Patreon. If you are hearing this, you are one of those people. Thank you. Oh, hear that? Just coming up with the last few bits of things to say was an act so overwhelming that I had to stop and make a fresh soda stream and put a book back on the bookshelf and rearrange some pillows. This is going to be some show. Here's what I'm thinking right now. And you should know things are subject to change as questions. Please let there be questions and whims and tech and all that changes around us. But for now, this is the plan. I've got some ideas. I shall present those ideas. Sometimes they shall be presented by me talking. Sometimes I'll be talking with other people. Hopefully, I'll be talking with you people as time goes on. So ideas plus talking. And as I've recorded all of the talking parts for this episode, I realized that there are a lot of things that people I'm talking to are mentioning that send me off on sidebars. So I'm just going to leave them in. When my brain changes gears, if someone mentions an app or a tool and it's appropriate, I'm just going to interrupt them and tell you about it. That's the way my brain works. And this is a podcast for ADHDers. So I figure what the hell. Let's go stream of consciousness, shall we? Awesome. Finally, a real and true tech note. 
If you are listening to the show on Patreon, like patreon.com, the website, you are missing all the fun. You, each and every one of you, has access to a super-secret URL that, when used appropriately, unlocks a complete podcast feed so you can listen to member podcast episodes in the podcast app of your choice. Do you love Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or Overcast? Sure, you can listen to it right there. In fact, there are only a handful of podcast apps that do not work. I'm just going to say it right here and get this out of the way. One of the apps that won't work with Patreon is Spotify. So if you use Spotify to listen to your podcasts, seriously, it's time to find a new app. One of these days, I will do a whole episode on the reason why. For today, there are better apps, I promise. Anyway, there is a video, a very short video that I have put together to demonstrate how you access your Patreon podcast feed in Apple Podcasts. Link in the notes, and I will send it out as a separate Patreon email, too. I have a question from patron Susan. Susan writes that she has a selection of PDF forms for her therapy practice and that she'd like to transform them into fillable PDFs. She says, I use a MacBook Air. The forms are my intake forms for adults and children. They're in Word, mostly, with some in PDF. I've been using PDF filler to edit things, but it takes forever to make them fillable. I want to be able to email them and have folks email them back. Thank you, first, for writing, Susan. This is a frustrating situation because it seems like it should be so easy. But the truth is there are a lot of confusing options out there, and some of them just aren't very good. I haven't tried them all for sure, but I have used the leaders in the field, and I have uh, just a couple of things to recommend. First, Adobe Acrobat. This is Adobe's world, and we're just living in it when it comes to PDFs, after all. Even though the PDF format was opened and standardized in 2008 as, and I quote, a format to present documents, including text formatting and images in a manner independent of application software, hardware, and operating systems, it really was Adobe that invented the thing in 1992, and the Acrobat application has always had the superset of features designed for creating and manipulating PDF documents that generally exceeds the rest of the pack. Today, you can get the full Acrobat application with the feature set that is required to create, fill, sign, and send forms for $12.99 a month or as a part of the Graphic Design Creative Cloud subscription or the Acrobat and PDF Creative Cloud subscription at adobe.com. Personally, when I'm creating forms, I go with PDF Pen Pro by Nitro at pdfpen.com. This is an application that also includes the ability to create interactive forms, but only in the Pro version. So you'll be paying $129 for the privilege, but it's a one-time purchase in this case. So you'll have the app and you can use it to create as many forms as you need time and time and time again. Uh, it also naturally, both of these apps double as you know you, your replacement PDF reader. So, and they have some nice reading features as well. So, you know, if you, if you choose to replace this as your default app for dealing with PDFs, whether you're creating forms, filling forms, or reading forms, they're really good. Um, even though on the Mac, Preview has all of those reading and highlighting annotating features built in. Preview, you just can't create forms, and that's stinky. 
<laughs> wish, I wish we could do that. Uh, so my hunch, uh, Susan, is that this is going to be one of those tools that will be vastly more reliable and future-proofed than going with the web services. I can understand how that might have been a bit of a fiddly experience for you. So give it a shot and let me know how it goes. I love Jurassic Park. It's a wonderful movie, a thrilling story, incredible visual realization. But it might surprise you to hear that my favorite scene has nothing to do with flashy effects at all. It's just some sciencey tech types talking. Here's Jeff Goldblum's Ian Malcolm talking to B.D. Wong's Dr. Wu about how the big brains on his Lanublar were ensuring that the dinosaurs couldn't reproduce. As a rule, dinosaur reproduction in the then 20th century is considered bad. By the way, Dr. Wu is using paper on a clipboard and a standard ballpoint pen in this scene. Baby dinosaurs are present. How do you know they're all female? Does somebody go out in the park and pull up the dinosaur's skirts? We control their chromosomes. It's really not that difficult. All vertebrate embryos are inherently female anyway. They just require an extra hormone given at the right developmental stage to make them male. We simply deny them that. Deny them that? John, the kind of control you're attempting is, uh, it's not possible. Listen, if there's one thing the history of evolution has taught us, it's that life will not be contained. Life breaks free, it expands to new territories, and it crashes through barriers painfully, maybe even dangerously, but, uh, well, there it is. There it is. You're implying that a group composed entirely of female animals will breed? No, I'm, I'm simply saying that life uh, finds a way. Life uh, finds a way. Oh, every time I hear that scene, I'm inspired. Sure, I, I mean, it's considered horror, right? It's this massive foreshadowing threat in the context of the story leading to a third act complication that ultimately um, threatens to destroy the uh, entire ecology of this Costa Rican island. Okay, it's it's fine. I, I get it. But to my ear, it's opportunity all the way down. It is, after all, how I think about new projects. See, I actually don't bother whether we're talking about uh, assigned projects, work coming from a boss or a manager or some other dictate, or a personal project, an idea or inspiration that grabs our fancy. What I care most about is if I can muster the intellectual energy and enthusiasm to fit it into my life somehow. Life uh, finds a way. But sometimes things are just impossible. I'm too busy. There's too much going on, or my kids, they take up all of my life and time. My boss is a, a malignant narcissist and a bully, and I'm not allowed to think for myself and try new things. I can keep my focus and attention on one thing at a time, and so how can I expect myself to be able to accomplish anything, and now I have to go eat cereal? It's all just impossible. Now, did you see what I just did there? That was my impression of past me. But my hunch is... I was also doing a pretty able impression of you, too, at least some of the time. 
Remember Doc Anderson? We had him on the podcast a while back, and he quickly became one of my favorite people. In a past life, he worked as a magician and a mind reader in a carnival. Today, he's an ADHD coach. At some level, those are birds of a feather, my friends. Anyhow, I asked Doc how he handled inspiration, specifically inspiration that comes in the form of bolts of lightning to your ADHD lightning rod. How do you track the things that you want to do with your ADHD brain in such a way that you capture what you want to do, maintain the stuff you have to do, and let go of the stuff that just doesn't fit? And wouldn't you know it, he locked onto this word, impossible, hard. When someone says something is impossible, what they're really saying is, I don't know how to do that. And since I'm the smartest person that I know, there's no way you could know how to do that. So obviously it can't be done. I have kind of a extra special relationship with impossible. I did impossible for a living. And what I learned is that impossible is possible if you engineer the situation for it. That's what being a magician teaches you is that these impromptu things are not just things that we do. Impromptu is impromptu, Latin, in preparedness, having things at the ready. And so creating situations where you can create miracles, it takes putting your ducks in a row. So knowing what your job is, is to bring about this thing, then you have everything at your disposal to optimize that, to remove friction, to take the path of least resistance, which very often ADHD brains need. Impossible is not impossible. It's, I can't do that yet. Sure, there are things that are impossible. Let's say me phasing through a stone wall, I feel pretty comfortable that the technology required for me to disassemble my atoms and pass through stone is going to meet a hard stop until long, long after my life does. But the context of defining what I do when I do it, I have the tools to help me figure that out already. I have calendars and task managers and communication tools and project management apps. I can do that stuff right now. My instinct to say something on my plate is impossible is rarely defined by my tools. It's more often defined by how I feel about the climb ahead of me, about learning to use my tools in such a way that I can solve the heretofore impossible task with ease. Life, uh, finds a way. You know that feeling too, right? You've landed comfortably in the zone that whatever it is you've been assigned is impossible. You can't do it. You'll never be able to do it. But then something happens. You take your concerta at just the right time. You manage to turn off the TV and get to sleep before 2 a.m. Whatever the condition, your brain checks in with your attention and says, hey, you, I figured it out. That one thing that made this whole project impossible, I figured it out for you. Boom. Suddenly, the whole impossible project is now possible. The thing I struggle with, though, once I figure out I can do a thing, is should I do that thing? Just so we don't let the Jurassic Park references die. Yeah, yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Doc Anderson helped out here, too. My wife and I, we have what we call vampire things. Now, in ADHD, Vampires are things that 
suck away our time, energy, and attention. And those three things are very specific because those are what we need. If you make the Venn diagram of of time, energy, and attention, in the center of that is productivity. If you miss any one of those, you're not doing anything. You have to have time, energy, and attention. And the vampires are things that suck those away. Now, this started from being tired stupid on the road at three in the morning and a joke that was just hella funny at that moment. The next morning we looked at it and went, wow, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And so we realized there were vampire jokes. These are the jokes that the part at three in the morning that, oh my God, but when you shine the light of day on them, they sort of disintegrate. And you just go, we shall never speak of this again. And we realized pretty quickly that the the concept of these vampires, whether it is a joke, whether it is an idea, whether it is a project, whether it is a process, there are things that we will go down the dark rabbit hole after. And they look really cool in the dark. And we think we found the thing until we get them back up and we shine sunlight on them and they don't hold up to scrutiny. That's a vampire. It sucks away your reserves and it doesn't hold up to sunlight and scrutiny. Vampire projects die in the sun. They don't hold up to scrutiny. You know me, I'm a big sucker for good metaphor and this one hit me hard. Why? because I carry a sense of shame around what I'm working on that prevents me from sharing with the world early enough to determine if that sunlight should kill the thing before I put more of my life into it. I used to call this back-pocketing success. Do all the technical work but the one thing that would tell the world about it, and then when it fails, I have a perfect scapegoat. The thing would have worked if only, if only, if only. I called up our friend Brett Terpstra, and I asked him the same. If you don't remember, Brett is a programmer and a principal developer relations guy at Oracle. He's a big brain and writes a lot of code behind some of the tools that I love. So I thought he might have an interesting position. So what is it that makes him pick up a new project? The thing that will get me started on an idea, on on making an idea into a reality, is how much I enjoy the tools that I believe will be required. In recent memory, it seems like every time I've had an idea and the tools that would be required to implement it sound like fun, then it's a go-ahead for me. I I will go ahead. And and yeah, a lot of times those ideas, I'll get an hour into it and realize, well, this this is stupid. Even I don't need this and nobody else needs this. And I've wasted an hour, but I probably had fun doing it because... It was using tools that I was either curious about or was already really good at. Right now, I have this, I I have this love for Ruby as much as, as much as people in my world would consider it kind of a dying art. Sidebar. Ruby is an open source programming language first released in 1995 by creator Yukihiro Mats Matsumoto. It blends other languages like Perl and Smalltalk and Eiffel and Ada and Lisp to form this new language that bundles many of the conceits of other programming languages. Matt says Ruby is simple in appearance, but is very complex inside. 
just like our human body. Ruby on Rails is a web framework built using the Ruby programming language, so if you've been on the web, you have experienced the results of Ruby's fruit. Ruby's an older language, though, and attention or interest is generally shifting toward newer technologies like Node.js, just because it's not quite as fast. This makes Brett kind of an artisan in this space. If a project that I have in mind uses, I can, if I can see doing it very effectively with Ruby, it might be something that I want to get started on. Uh, like that would be a temptation. And I am not great at figuring out like where the ideal places to put my attention are. I have over a hundred GitHub repositories of, of like code that I've openly shared. And the fact is that 99 of those repos at any given time are of very little interest to me. And I have no emotional connection to them because they are not active projects. There's something I did once. I found the nerve to, to show them to people. Uh, people, you know, either liked or didn't like them. And, and I moved on and I am able to talk about those things in a detached way. Whereas like a project like Bunch, which was an automation tool I wrote in the last couple of years, like I got really into that and it became like, I, I became very emotionally attached to it. I was doing presentations on it. I was, I was, uh, I was doing interviews about it and, and I would have trouble speaking about that in an emotionally detached way, uh, or even an objective way. Uh, like it was a real, it was like a love child. Another sidebar. Bunch is Brett's newest indie app. It's an automation tool for the Mac that reads a folder of text files. Each text file contains a set of instructions, like, for example, instructions to record a podcast. With Bunch, I can type into the text file to start my recording software, open a new show notes document, set my audio inputs and outputs, pause Dropbox and OneDrive, and then reset everything back to normal when I'm finished. Bunch reads those instructions and turns them all into a button that lives on my menu bar to activate whenever I need it. It's incredibly intelligent, and since everything is written in plain text, if you can make a list, you can create a bunch and automate your Mac. Plus, he clearly loves it. Yeah, no, it's never, almost never a case where I just get sick of something. It's just that something else becomes my focus. All right, so I'll preempt my own sidebar and uh, talk about this in terms of an introduction. Brett has another tool that he's working on called Doing, and Doing is even nerdier than Bunch. If that was all uh, at all hard to follow, just, you know, bow out of needing to understand the technical details about what this tool does and just listen to how he talks about it. Doing functionally, for those who are interested and don't zone out right now, doing is a command line interface for adding a what was I doing reminder in a task paper formatted text file. So command line is essentially programming code for touching the metal, for for tinkering with the engine of a, a software system. Uh, it is the cursor flashing uh, in green on black. It is the, the nerdiest of the nerdy interfaces in movies. It's the way programmers actually create the front-end software that we use every day. And Brett lives and works in the command line. So 
here's him talking about how doing his latest project interacts with his life. It is the one project that is ever present, no matter what I'm working on, I'm also working on doing. And doing, I have, uh, I've invested hundreds of hours in and, and I, it is very close to me. And I, 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 it's been, I've been working on it since like 2012 though. So I have a certain amount of detachment, but anytime a project starts to get at all boring, doing becomes interesting to me again. And my attention shifts to working on doing. Uh, doing is easy to work on. It's something that no matter how little motivation I have at the time, I can easily add a feature to it. I've got it refined to a point where the library makes it possible to make it do just about anything. And and I find the practice of coding and writing regular expressions and doing string manipulation, I find that very relaxing. Uh, and also at the same time, gives me some great dopamine fixes. Uh, so the combination means I just, I, I'm easily distracted by easy to code things. This is one of the things I love so much about Brett's message which is around the tools. Now, if you didn't hear it in there, let me let me spell it out more clearly. What Brett's talking about is finding the simplest solution and creating an effortless, frictionless system for it. For a programmer, reaching into the terminal and writing in the command line is the simplest, least technical thing you can do. It is the most straightforward. You're manipulating text. There are no windows. There are no alerts or alarms. You're just adding text to a list. You want to hear the complex technology that Brett uses when he wants to interact with his technology and he is not at his command line at his desk? Photos. Man, I, I take... I, I have a camera in my pocket, you know, my phone at all times. And if anything is at all important to me, I snap a picture of it. The act of recording it usually helps me remember it. I very rarely actually have to go search through my photos to find an event. Uh, taking a picture of it or, or writing down something that happened, just the act of recording it is amazing for my ability to remember something. Um, if if anything seems noteworthy at any point, at minimum, I will snap a picture of it or I will write a quick note in drafts like this. This is what happened. This is what I need to remember. And I I can't think of the last time I actually had to go back and reference a photo or a note about something. Just taking the note did the trick for me. I don't organize my photos. Uh, I, I find Apple Photo Search to be sufficient for my needs uh, without having to do a lot of like filing or anything. And just like, I don't know, man, just taking the picture, just when, I, when, when the camera clicks and I see the image on screen, it embeds in my memory and I don't have to do anything else. Like this is now a far less fungible memory than it would have been if I had just experienced something. But the act of recording it in any way made it less fungible in my, in my uh, historical memory of any occasion. Need to remind yourself of a book to read while you're in a bookstore? Take a picture of the cover. 
need to remind yourself of a task coming up, take a picture. Take a picture of a person to remind you to send a calendar invitation to meet with them for a later Zoom meeting. Whatever you need, the camera on most of our devices is as simple and straightforward and strangely low-tech as you could possibly get for an entry point to your technology. Check out what Doc had to say when answering the same question. How do you use your technology to track the things that you want to make sure you surface later? Beware of high-tech. The seduction of high-tech. Because the higher tech something is, the more likely it will fail. And when it does fail, the failure is catastrophic. Uh, John Glenn very famously said when, when he was sitting on, on top of the, uh, on top of the rocket, three million moving parts all made by the lowest bidder. That's high tech. That's bleeding edge. Cutting edge means you bleed. That's what bleeding edge comes from. And that is an acknowledgement that the higher the tech, the less reliable it is. And when it does fail, it's across the board. Conversely, low-tech does not fail as often. And when low-tech fails, it's at a lower level that is often still usable. So low-tech solutions or low-tech backups are necessary in a high-tech world. This is part of protecting yourself from vampires. Don't put all of your protection into really nifty, cool technological solutions that may not perform when you need them. Computers have it in for us. And my proof is that they do only what we tell them to do. Nothing more, nothing less. And there is nothing more insidious. Okay, Doc. Nothing more insidious. So what do you use, pray tell, to keep track? What technology would you possibly surface to allow you to track the things that you want to do in your life and how you want to surface those things for your own good? The first thing I use is this. He's holding up a notepad and a plain old ballpoint pen. This is where it all starts. This is where it all ends. Everything that I do is in service to this. The technology is in service to external prompts so that I'm not relying on my goldfish ADHD brain to remember, and I'm not relying on my hamster brain to focus, and I'm not relying on my terrier brain to let go of the stock monkey when those aren't going to necessarily happen left to my own devices. So the first thing I do is I make sure that I have external prompts. I have processes, I have technologies to give me access to information and to things that I need when I when and where and how I need them. It, it has to do with the executive function in ADHD. So the first step is trust your brain is going to do what your brain does with ADHD and build in external prompts so that you can trust the right things. The next thing I do, and the most important thing you can do with ADHD, is pause. Take a breath. Stop. We have all these ideas, bazillions of them, and we want to do something with all of them, and our brain spins up 
The counterintuitive thing is to stop, to slow down, to stop, to pause. But our ADHD brains need to do that. Neurotypical brains do that easier because of the low-level dopamine drip and you know the constant drip and all of this. So the second part of that is to pause and take a look at what is actually in front of you in way of tools, processes, technologies. What do you have at your disposal? And take a moment to ask the questions that we don't necessarily. My method is technologically agnostic. I use the tool I need to use. Now, most often, I'm throwing notes into Apple Notes, or I'm recording things in some different spreadsheets. Um, I used to make these really elaborate databases because that's how you're supposed to do this stuff. They should, right? But the technology, I realized, I needed to record data every morning about my diabetes, my, my blood sugar, my ketones, my weight, notes, uh, you know, what I'm doing at that point on the readings. And I had all these nifty databases for keeping track of that, and they were a pain in the ass to use. I tried using other people's apps, and they were a pain in the ass to use. And I found out a stupid, simple spreadsheet, which is not the way you're supposed to do a database. That's a flat file, not a database, damn it. And I will go off into a rabbit hole of why that is wrong and get really worked up about that. And it turns out the best damn tool is a flat file spreadsheet. And because I, I, I set the column, I click in the square, and it gives me the keyboard for optimizing the entry, and I don't have to do a damn thing. It is when the moment the technology becomes invisible to the process, the technology is mature enough to do the job. So, let's review. You downloaded this dumb technology podcast that we've been talking about for months, and here we are, episode one, and the guy who supposedly loves technology just introduced you to two of his deeply technically-minded friends, and both of them have just said they don't really use complex tech tools to get through their days. They live collectively with anxiety and ADHD and OCD and depression and more, and they don't rely on complex systems for their most trusted things where their ideas germinate. They use the command line and plain text. They use paper and a ballpoint pen. Trust me, we're going to talk about tech, I promise. In coming episodes, we're going to talk about managing our inboxes and our digital knowledge and task systems and automation and more. But I didn't feel like it would be fair to anyone listening to walk away with an assumption that Pete, podcaster, technologist, whatever, only celebrates getting things done with the flashiest of bits and shininess. Like Doc and Brett both said in their own way, I'll add in mine. The best technology serves us to reduce friction between what I'm doing now and what I want to be doing next. That's it. Episode one of Placeholder. Was that a show? I don't know. I don't know if that was a show. I hope you listened to it all the way to the end. 
I hope you found something new to think about, even if it's how clever my use of Jurassic Park clips was. If you listen, and you do have something new to think about, as a result, I hope you'll share it with our Discord community. Look for the Placeholder channel and share your thoughts. What's the least friction tool you use in your tech stack? You got a better solution for creating fillable PDFs for the long haul? Please share. Thanks, everybody, for your time and your attention. And I'll catch you in two weeks, right back here in the placeholder.